Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Now, messages aren't so much taught as caught. So this morning, I want you to catch something. And as I go through this, we're going to do a message actually on Father's, a Father's Day message on Father's Day. And, and we're going to talk about a father's love and particularly our Heavenly Father's love, but I want to apply it in specific ways. I don't, maybe you don't know how Father's Day actually started. We, we uh, it was, it started actually in 1910 with a name, um, a lady named Sonora Dodd in Spokane, Washington. She's sitting in a church service on, her, on Mother's Day. And as she's listening to a sermon about mothers, she thought about her father, who, and her father was a Civil War veteran. Her mom had actually died early in life, and so all of her siblings and her were raised by a very devout, godly father who had gone on to be with Jesus. She thought it would be a wonderful thing to have a special time for fathers, and because he was born in the month of June, she decided, she set aside in her church, asked the church to set aside the third Sunday of June in 1910 in Spokane, Washington, to be Father's Day. 56 years later, in 1966, Lyndon Baines Johnson authorized and signed the proclamation declaring that the third Sunday in June would be Father's Day. And here we are. Fathers, bless you. Some of you, can I just say, some of you had bad father experiences, some had good, some had neutral, but we all have a good father experience in Father God. You're here today because of Father God, Abba Father. Uh, interesting, I, I heard a small boy's definition of Father's Day recently. He said, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. <laughs> that is so true. And the restaurants aren't full, and Mother's Day, it's, it's, a busy, it's busier on Mother's Day than Easter in restaurants. Definition of a father, I heard this recently, a father is a man who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. <laughs> and men are, men are really so different than women. Our culture doesn't get that. They're trying to make everybody the same, you know, unigender or whatever. There's a difference, people. Psychologically, physically, everything, it's different. Just read scripture. I wish people would read scripture. Now, there, there, here's a story of how different women and men are. One, one night a man found her husband standing over their baby's crib and, and she's kind of watching him from a distance as he was looking over the crib, little baby. He was looking down at this sleeping infant and she saw on his face all these mixtures of emotion from disbelief, delight, amazement, enchantment. And she was really touched by this display. And so her, her emotions started rousing and rising and she started crying a little bit. And she slipped her arm through her husband's arm and she said, penny for your thoughts. Those of you who don't, aren't old, you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he said, honey, it's just amazing. I just can't see how anybody 
can make a crib like that for only $46.50. Come on, that's pretty true. Oh. There is a lost, the lost art of fatherhood. And in our nation, there has been a decrease of true fatherhood. We see it illustrated in incarceration and in different communities around the nation. In fact, the National Fatherhood Initiative said 40% of American children currently don't live with their biological fathers. 70% of juveniles in state reform institutions grew up with one or neither of their parents. And 43% of adult inmates grew up in single-parent homes. Now, frankly, single parents may be my, some of my heroes because of what they have to do. And that's why I think the church community needs to arise, help, aid, pray, encourage, adopt, you know, should be our, our, our mantra, should be what we say and do. So that, because the Bible says, I just read it this morning, Psalm 68 says, God sets the solitary in families. Why does he bring us in here so we can be part of a family and enjoy the blessing of fatherhood and motherhood? It has been said that a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Recently, I, and I just love, I love our, uh, our teachers in this church uh, that teach the children. When I don't preach, I'm, I'll take my usher and we'll walk around and just check in all the classrooms so I can give a few hugs and a few high fives and we can just see the kids and the teachers and Miss Susie and all the rest of them just blessing our kids. I saw Jackson comes down the hallway today with this big sucker and this big honking dude thing that Pastor Mark had given to him because he'd said a scripture. How old is Jackson. He's three years old, and he's saying scriptures to Pastor Mark so he can get his candy. <laughs> I guess i got to step up my game a little bit. <laughs> and so I just, I just love that in our church because we, we have fathers who are teaching back in the today and every Sunday who just, they take time, and they tell me stories of how they're ministering to children who come in who don't have daddies. They can be a daddy to the fatherless. It's awesome. And recently I heard a story of a preschool class in a Sunday school. A teacher asked him to draw a picture of God. Have you, have you heard about that they're trying to draw a picture of God in our culture right now? They're trying to do this. Those of you who don't watch the news, I guess you don't understand this. I watch the news. I pray the news. I do all that. So, And so this, the teacher wanted to use these uh, drawings as illustrations. Toward the end of the class, the children were excited to show their teacher their final work, and so they came up with rainbows and men with big hands and all kinds of supermen type things. And finally, one of the girls showed her teacher her picture, and it was simply a man with a suit and a tie on. She, she told the teacher, I, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew my daddy instead. Daddies, better get ready. This morning, Chris and I are driving to church, and 
the two twins in the back seat talking away. I said, how do you handle these two talking like this all the time? And they're talking about Father's Day and how I'm their daddy's daddy and how does that work? And, you know, they're, they're just philosophical. And then he started talking about Father Abraham, how old Father Abraham is. And they go on Q goes, it must be 300 years, maybe 500 years. And I go, Q, he's 4,000 years, 4,000 years. And he's alive. He's alive. No, he's dead. Oh, we have interesting conversations. Our world desperately needs fathers for children. It's probably the greatest hurt and need in our society right now. And I think it's, it's what we see, the vacuum that's incorporated into our culture. A father cannot be replaced any more than a mother can be replaced. And as Chris said earlier, no father's perfect. We're not supposed to be. But fathers are great people of influence and and we need them. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says this. It says, uh, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Now, let me try to interpret what Paul's saying here. I think Paul is saying, you have a lot of people who are going to tell you about fathers, are going to tell you instructions, are going to tell you what to do, but there's not many who will show you what to do, who will example, who will walk it out. You know, walk the walk, just don't talk it. Don't just talk the talk. That's what Paul is saying here. Lots of people want to teach us, but not many want to show us the way. And the Bible has a lot to, do, lot to say about fathers. Uh, we have Abraham, we have David. David actually wasn't a very good father. We have uh, Abraham, David, we have Joseph, the father of Jesus. We have, and my favorite father in the Bible is the prodigal son's father. I think he exhibits the greatest unconditional love, example of a father that we have in the Bible, exampling our heavenly father. And there is an interesting scripture before I jump into, because I want to talk about the prodigal son's father, but uh, there's an interesting, interesting scripture in the Old Testament that I hadn't realized until I was studying for this. And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, it's interesting. In this scripture, uh, it's talking about the man, first of all, Methuselah. Do you know what, who Methuselah was? Oldest man who ever lived, how many years? 969 years. Can you imagine how many tennis shoes he went through? How many sets of clothes? How many Chick-fil-A sandwiches he had to have in 969 years? Come on, that's just a long time. Oh, and so anyway, starts talking about this. Now, the, the interesting thing about Methuselah is not Methuselah, it's his dad. Look what it says. Verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Did you hear what that said? In just three short verses... We hear about a guy who is only one of three people in the Bible who went from this earth without having died. God took him. Now, notice what happened. Now, I didn't notice this before. Notice what happened. 
It says, he begot Methuselah, and after he begot Methuselah, he walked with God. Parenting had something extraordinary that occurred in his life that made him walk with God. I've noticed this, that when you have a child, it kind of changes you. I think Enoch had an encounter with God at 65 years of age when he begot Methuselah that caused him to start walking with God. He had an encounter that changed him. Maybe the parenting, maybe this child influenced him. I don't know. It seems like I've noticed this in church that a lot of people return to church when they have kids. And I commend them for it. They'll say, you know, I, 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 I've, we have a baby now. I just need to get my son or daughter back in church. You're right. Children, need, children shall lead them. And we see this with Enoch. Now, Enoch, fa, fa, think it was Enoch, it was Methuselah, it was Lamech, and it was Noah. So Enoch is the great-grandfather of Noah. What a line. And Enoch was one of three people who did not die. Elijah and the, uh, many theologians say Moses. So here we are. We see this amazing thing occurring in this man's life. Parenting changed him. His son changed him. I remember when Chris was born, it changed me. I remember I was excited and thrilled to be a father. I was going to be the greatest dad in the world. I took him home with, almost forgot Connie at the hospital. And <laughs> you don't want to breathe on the baby because he might break. And you come to church, you don't want to put him in the nursery because, oh, they won't know how to take care of this little fragile one. But by the third child, <laughs> you just go to the nursery and catch. <laughs> Sorry, Trace. <laughs> but we had a lot of, we had, we actually had a lot more fun with Tracy than we did with Chris, probably. You know. poor, poor Chris had all the discipline. And... But can I tell you, pa parenting changes you. Parenting does. When, when, you, when, when you come in contact with, with children who you have partnered with God to create, you have created eternity. Come on, it's eternity in your hands. You know, I remember crying out to God, oh God, make me the father I need to be. Help me, Lord. It seems to be that was the case with Enoch because he began to walk with God. He walked with God so intently that God looked at him with favor and took him. It, it had to influence Methuselah's long life. You don't have long life if you don't have blessing. It had to influence Lamech and then Noah. It's just, just amazing what walking with God will do to those down the line from you. God, through his word, models for us the picture of a great father. And I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to, I'm going to give you five points on, on, a, on the comparison with our heavenly father and the earthly father, the prodigal son's father. And I'm going to give you five of these points. We're going to talk about them. And, 
And I'm not speaking in regard to what we need to do. I'm speaking in regard of what God patterns for us as fathers to do. And a father's love for his children is amazing. Now, you, I'm not going to read the whole story of prodigal son because you know it. Here's a prodigal son. The, the father uh, raises two sons, the elder and the younger. Uh, great family, great provision, great wealth. The, the younger son comes one day, says, give me my inheritance. He leaves, he goes, he squanders it. He ends up in a pig pen. He comes to his senses and says, uh, you know, my dad's servants are getting along better than me. I'm, I'm gonna go home. He goes home. On the way home, his father runs, sees him, uh, hugs him, puts a robe around him, a ring on his finger. They celebrate, they have a party. And uh, we see the story how the, the uh, older son who'd been there all the time, who had the inheritance in front of him at all times began to be jealous of the younger son. And can I just say this? We better not have an elder son attitude in the church because there will come young people, old people. There will come prodigal sons and daughters into the church and we better be ready to welcome them. Now, can I tell you what? In the Jesus people day, what happened is there were a bunch of elder son churches who wouldn't allow the Jesus people to come in. I, I was there, I saw it. And they wouldn't teach him, they wouldn't train him, they just said, oh, look at those dirty, yucky, long-haired, hippie, who are they? And they wouldn't receive him. And we lost a whole generation. There was, however, a remnant that came out of that that has changed our world. I say all that to give you five points. First of all, a father's love by demonstrating both Abba father and the earthly father, the prodigal son's father, a father's love physically provides for his family. A father's love actually physically provides for his family. In the story of the prodigal son, you see the picture of the heart of Father God. You see him providing. The father was the one that provided well for his family. That's what scripture says. Both sons had bright futures with personal promise and fulfillment because of the father's provision. The most natural and spiritual and scriptural thing is for a father to take responsibility and provide for the family because in 1 Timothy 5.8 it says, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Sounds like it's the time of Noah. <laughs> My app said it was supposed to stop at 12 o'clock. I heard this story recently. The little boy was talking to his mommy and he says, Mommy, if the, storm, if the stork brings us babies and Santa Claus brings us presents and the Lord gives us our daily bread and Uncle Sam provides us with social security, why do we keep daddy around? <laughs> well, daddy's there because it's really daddy that provides. Yes, I know, moms provide too. That's not my point. My point is we need fathers and we need mothers in children's lives. So it is with our Heavenly Father. Isn't not it interesting that one of the first names of God is Jehovah Jireh? God provides. God provides. The Lord who provides. In the thickets is a ram. In the thickets is a ram. His provision is there before you need it, before you think about it. God has a provision for you. Is it not interesting? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God wants to provide. And as earthly fathers, we provide for our children. 
God, and I, I'm believing that there will be great provision that many of us in this church as fathers will be able to take care physically, emotionally, and provide even financially for those who are in need. I'm about, I'm tired of the government coming in and doing things. I think the church should be doing things. Excuse me for my political rant, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Number two is a father's love is protective. A father's love is protective. It's the kind of love that, that, that loves and, and lets go, yet but runs to the aid when necessary. Our Heavenly Father runs after us to help us and protect us, yet he does not overwhelm us with just this heaviness. The father, notice this, the father of the prodigal son lets his son go but was ready to help and rescue when his son was ready. I heard this story of protection recently. A man, uh, man had a daughter named, a teenage daughter named Misty and she was waitressing at a restaurant and uh, one, one evening he, count, he came in, the father, uh, Misty's dad comes in with a group of his friends and they're eating them and they became engrossed in their food and conversation. And Misty was on the other side of the room waiting on people and a, a man uh, on the other side was being waited on by, by Misty and she be, or he began to flirt with her. Uh, she ignored his request uh, for her phone number, but he kept asking for it. Finally, she stopped what she was doing and looked at the man and she pointed at her dad and said, do you see that man? He turned around and looked at him and she said, that's my dad. We have the same phone number. If you want it, get it from him. Uh, I remember when Mark Longmore Frenzy came into my house and wanted to talk to me about marrying Rochelle. We had a long, interesting talk. And frankly, it wasn't always, well, it was pleasant, but it was strong. And yet, God told me that he was the one, but I made him work for it. And I remember the night they were married and I was back in the back with Rochelle and I was about ready to walk her down the aisle. And I asked her one more time, are you sure about this? <laughs> I did. She says, yeah, dad. Okay, let's do it. You see, a dad needs to be protective. Our heavenly father's protective of us. And we can see this in Psalm 28, 7, where it says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Psalm 91, 1. I love this. I love Psalm 91. I think it's something we need to be quoting and saying all the time. Connie and I, we, we read it, quote it every, almost every night. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. And surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge and his truth shall be your shield and your buckler. 
You shall not be afraid of the terror by, by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in noonday in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I'm telling you, our God is a protective God. And as fathers, I know you, uh, you, you are who are fathers here as well, the best thing we can do is show protection for our children and our wives. So a father's love is protective. Number three, a father's love is authoritative. Did you notice in this scripture with this story with uh, the prodigal son's dad? Notice this. The father does not request a celebration. He announces a celebration. And it happens. He has authority. Can I say, uh, fathers, we need to take more authority in the spirit. We need to start praying authoritatively. Now, this is for all of you. All of you listening into, as I talk to the fathers, you can take this too. You need to bind things to the will of God. I remember, Connell, every day we would bind our children to the will of God. We would name them. We'd bind you to the will of God. They had no choice. We bind you to the will of God every day. Bind you, bind you. You're bound. <laughs> we need to start taking authority in the, in the spirit as we pray. And as we do that, I think God's going to do, we need to start announcing things instead of requesting, just requesting things. Ooh, that's an, I said something powerful in the spirit there. You see, God wants your voice to be heard in the land, and it isn't always with, with uh, 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 requesting. It's with proclamation. We need to proclaim what God is saying. Come on. But, you know, sometimes our bark probably, as fathers, is bigger than our bite. I think it's okay to scare people. You know, like the lion. Lion kind of scares people. He's, he's proud of his mastery. You've heard the story of the lion, haven't you? One day he decided to make sure all the other animals knew that he was the king of the jungle. So he passed all the smaller animals, and he goes to the bigger ones, and he goes to the, to the bear, and he says, he says, uh, who's the king of the jungle? And the bear looks at him and says, well, you are, of course. And the lion gives a mighty roar and says, yes. He goes to the tiger and says, who's the king of the jungle? And the tiger responded, everyone knows that you are, mighty lion. So next, the lion goes to the elephant. He faced the elephant and he said the same question. Who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk, whirled him around the air five or six times, slammed him into a tree. Then he pounded him onto the ground several times, dunked him underwater nearby lake, finally dumped him on the shore. And the lion, beaten, bruised, and battered, kind of struggled to his feet. He looked at the elephant, and through bloody, sad eyes, he said, look, just because you don't know the answer is no reason for you to get mean about it. <laughs> I know I like telling stories like that. But you know, as I think as fathers, we, we need to be authoritative, but we need to also realize that our authority relies in Jesus Christ and, and in some way rest in that. Have fun in that. You know, example that. And the Bible teaches us that authority is best followed by example, not, not, authority, not an authoritarian, not a dictator, 
General Eisenhower, this is interesting, General Eisenhower would demonstrate the art of leadership with a simple piece of string. He would take a string, he would put it on the table, and he would, uh, if it stays on this table, he would take that string, he would place it on the table, and he would, he would then show this. He said, this is an example of leadership. He said, pull it, and it will follow you wherever you go. Push it, and it goes nowhere. Push it, it just crumples up. But pull it, and it follows you wherever you go. He also said, you do not lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault. That's not leadership. You draw them. You lead them. So it is with God. So it is with us as fathers. His authority is expressed in the example of Jesus Christ, loving, tender, yet firm and authoritative. Jesus uses his power and authority to bless his children. And as fathers, I think we need to do that. You still with me? Number four, we see this in the story of the prodigal son's father. A father's love is forgiving. A father's forgiveness is given willingly. It's not prolonged. Do you notice the father comes running to his son and just puts his arm around him? He hardly even says anything other than how much he loves him. And he gets right to the point. He moves on. And he gives that to him. In Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. So we see this. Notice that, and I find this fascinating. Notice that throughout the entire time of the prodigal, son father's, the prodigal son's absence, he did not seek him out for revenge or rescue. Parents, I think we need, yeah, there's a lesson in that. Be careful when your children don't do the right thing that you don't pester them and such. Now, I'm not saying you don't address things. But I'm saying that you've got to be careful how you, how you handle those things in life or you will drive them away. Just parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. So we see this as is a forgiving thing. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how long you've done it, a father and mother, we should be forgiving to our children. Now, God doesn't take things lightly. God really doesn't. But if you truly come to him seeking forgiveness, guess what? You get forgiveness. It's awesome. God likes giving second chances, third chances, four chances. That's who God is. We see this all through scripture. It's illustrated. I found a fascinating story. I'd heard this several years ago, Thomas Edison. He was working on this crazy contraption called a light bulb. Now, we know it today. We can go to a store and buy boxes of them, you know. But when he was building the light bulb, it took, it took a team of men 24 straight hours to put just one together. The story goes that when Edison was finished with the one light bulb, the first one, he gave it to a young boy helper who carried it up the stairs, and step by step, he cautiously took it upstairs because they were going to put it in a specific place of safety. As he got to the top of the stairs, he tripped and accidentally dropped the light bulb. True story. 
it then took the entire team another 24 hours to build another light bulb. So here's Edison, tired and ready for a break, ready for his light bulb to go back up the stairs again. And Edison gives it to the same young boy who had dropped the first one. That's true forgiveness. It's true forgiveness. God the Father's like that. Come on, people, we've dropped the light bulb a lot of times. Yet he gives forgiveness to us. And we should be doing the same. Quit holding things. You know, holding bitterness only hurts you. It doesn't hurt other people. God is continually giving us chances after forgiving us. We as earthly fathers, mothers, as people of, the, of faith and the community should do the same thing. A father's love, number five, this is the last one. A father's love influences. It's an influencing thing. The younger son, now this is a fascinating principle. You need to apply this. Boy, I hear you, I, I hope you're catching these things today. The younger son had discovered that his true identity was found in his father's house. You cannot find your true identity outside of the father's house. You have to get home in the father's house to receive your identity. And his father loved him enough to allow him to discover that for himself. The older son, he didn't value his identity. He'd been there for so long, he'd grown tired of it. But his father tenderly taught him, hoping to bring him back to that. And the father provided the role model of forgiveness, trust, acceptance, guidance, and wisdom. Uh, this story was a fascinating story. Years ago in Germany, there was a young Jewish boy who had a, a profound admiration for his father. And the life of the family actually surrounded their, their religious life, their devotion to their religion. And the father was zealous in worship and instruction and teaching and demanded the same from his family and his children. While the boy was a teenager, the family was forced to move to another town in Germany. In the new location, there was no synagogue because there were no Jews in that community. And the pillars of the community all belonged to the Lutheran church. Suddenly, the father announced one day to the family that they were all going to abandon their Jewish traditions and join the Lutheran church. When the stunned family asked why, the father explained that it was necessary to help his business. Well, this young man was, quite frankly, uh, confused and bewildered, deeply disappointed, he soon, which actually soon gave way to anger and a deep, intense bitterness towards his father that plagued him throughout the rest of his life. He left Germany soon after that when he's old enough, and he went to England to study. He sat at the British Museum formulating his ideas and actually writing a book. In that book, he introduced a whole life and worldview, brand new life and worldview, and conceived of a movement that was designed to change the world. In the book, he described religion as an opiate for the masses that could be explained totally in terms of economics. Today, there are billions of people in the world who live under the system invented by that embittered man. His name, of course, is Karl Marx. And the influence of this father's hypocrisy is still being felt around the world. 
because of one father's negative influence. Fathers can be positive influences or negative. We choose. Let's choose the positive. I remember a little boy, uh, he uh, came home one Sunday morning. Parents, this is where I, I, I hope you make church a commitment and a priority. Little boy came home one Sunday morning from church. His mom took him to church, but his dad stayed home. Read the sports page, watch football game. And uh, little boy came home and was fiddling around his dad's knees and his feet and trying to get his dad's attention as, as he was watching the game. After a while, the little, the little guy just jumped up in his dad's lap and his dad grabbed him and held him and hugged him for a little bit and he wanted to get back to his game. But the little boy then told his dad, he said, Dad, guess what the Sunday school teacher asked me this morning? He didn't even take his eyes off the game. He said, what did he say, son? Or what did the teacher say? He said, the teacher asked, when we died, where did we want to go? That kind of got the dad's attention. He wanted to hear what his son answered. He looked down at him and said, well, son, what would you tell the teacher? And a little guy crawled up in his dad's lap, cupped his hands, whispered into his dad's ear, I told my teacher that when I die, I want to go where my daddy goes. True story. You know what he did? He bowed his head. He gave his life to Jesus right then. He was back in church. Wow, what a great responsibility we have as fathers. What a great privilege. Fathers, your, your love is really needed in your family and in the world. Children need the love of their dads just as much as they need the love of their mothers. It needs to be given. One, one story that I just found a girl named Sue had a steady boyfriend and they saw each other several times a week and at night when when they would when he would leave and back out of the parents driveway the boyfriend Sue would go in the house and flip the lights on and off and her father questioned her one day and she and said what uh, what do you do that for and she's kind of blushed this dad it's our signal of I love you well, a year after she graduated, she pulled out of the driveway with the last load of her belongings. The, the father stood quite emotional at the door. And as she drove out of the driveway, he switched those lights on and off and on and off and on and off. Dads, do your sons and daughters know that you love them? How, how do you show it? How do you communicate it? One of the greatest gifts that you can give to your children is the knowledge that they're loved fully and unconditionally. And there's an there's a extra payoff to it too. For when fathers openly and genuinely love their children, I think their children will genuinely have a much easier time relating to a heavenly father. You know, that's why I stand at the door and love the kids and give hugs to the kids. Forget about you guys, give me the kids. Because I know if little Jackson, if he feels love for me as an authority figure, he's going to have an easier time of feeling love from his Heavenly Father. And I close with this story. 
hope you've gotten some from this today. There was a pastor. One Sunday he got up in his pulpit and gave a very brief introduction to his to a friend who was there just to speak and testify. The elderly man got up to the pulpit. He began to say this. He said, began to tell this story. A father, his son, and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast when a big storm blocked any attempt to get back to shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was a very experienced sailor, he couldn't keep the boat upright. And the three of them were swept into the ocean. As as the man was saying this in the pulpit, he, he stopped and he looked down. He caught the eye of two teenagers sitting in the front row. All of a sudden, they were interested in the story. He went on and he continues. says, that father grabbed the rescue line, but the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of that one line? And he only had seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian, and he also knew that his son's friend was not a Christian. The agony of his decision couldn't be matched by all the waves, etc., happening. As the father yelled out, I love you, son. He threw the line to his father, to his son's friend. And by the time he pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the waves. And they never recovered his body. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting pretty straight in their seat. The man goes on, he says, the father knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his son. And as he ended his message, he says, how great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. And with that, the old man stopped his story sat down and the service ended. As soon as the service was over, the two teenagers were right up there next to him. They said, well, that was a nice story. But but I don't think it was very realistic for father to give give up his son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. And the man said, well, maybe you got a point there. Then he had a big smile that came on his face. And he once again looked up at the boys and he said this. He said, yeah, it sure isn't very realistic. But I'm standing here today to tell you that that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. You see, I was the son's friend. All of us are the son's friend this morning. God threw a lifeline to us. We're here because he sacrificed his only son that we could have eternity with Jesus. That's a true story. And this morning, I guess I'm here to just challenge all of us to start receiving the the Father's love as never before. For he loves us so much.
and he's not willing that any of us should perish. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.